This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Good day, greetings, hello. It's Art at the End of the World, the podcast that features artists, entertainers, and cultural leaders speaking about what it is to make art here at the end. My name is Mark Wigmore. Welcome to Art at the End of the World Remix. Wonderful to have you along. This is my podcast, and it's a show that welcomes people who are changing culture through the arts with what they put out into the world And certainly in today's case, that is music. And Remix, we do it every Thursday. It's a chance to take conversations that maybe made it to the radio or aired on the first season of the podcast before it was backed by the Zoomer Podcast Network and the new Classical FM, and really reuse and rework and remix. And today is a very special set of conversations with legendary Canadian composer Howard Shore. Before we get to today's Remix, This episode is sponsored by Crow's Theatre, one of this country's most acclaimed arts organizations and based in Toronto's vibrant East End community. Crow's Theatre creates unforgettable productions that examine and illuminate the pivotal narratives of our time. Crowstheatre.com for info and tickets. And don't forget, Secret Life of a Mother, written by Hannah Moscovich. It opens tonight at Crow's Nest. Do not miss it. We're also sponsored by Red Eye Media, a leading arts and entertainment communications company working with award-winning clients, including the Musical Stage Company, SummerWorks Performance Festival, and of course, Crow's Theatre. An innovator in arts communications and media relations for over 15 years, Red Eye Media works with leading film, television, and performing arts organizations to build their audiences and their impact through engaged, passionate, and strategic communications. For more information on the power of Red Eye, visit redeyemedia.ca. Well, today, a man I've been fortunate enough to interview twice, Howard Shore, and when I think about this body of work it is really staggering and award-winning he's composed dozens upon dozens of famous movie scores iconic half a dozen Scorsese movies Cronenberg comedies like Big with Tom Hanks and Mrs. Doubtfire with Robin Williams and of course the big enchilada Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit all six of those films Howard was uh, born right here in the city, in Toronto, a student at the Royal Conservatory of Music, which I know my friend Mervon Mehta, the executive director there, very proud to uh, make that connection. So what we're going to hear over the next uh, 45 minutes or so is two conversations, one from 2017 and one from fairly recently, 2019. And the first piece we're going to hear ran on the new Classical FM back in December, really focuses on the music and we get to hear Uh, quite a bit of music. He talks about his latest film, which is titled The Song of Names. And I haven't altered this too much. You're going to hear some interesting thoughts on his great collaborations with, like I say, Scorsese and Cronenberg and Peter Jackson and Francois Girard. 
most recently. So let's listen. An incredible career, an incredible body of music. It's Howard Shore on Art at the End of the World Remix. Music from the brand new film, The Song of Names, which debuted at the Toronto International Film Festival back in September. And joining me this hour is the legendary composer and musician Howard Shore. We've uh, been looking forward to this for weeks. He scored the music you just heard. The film stars Tim Roth and Clive Owen with a story firmly entrenched in the world of classical music. So this afternoon, we're going to hear music from this new film, and talk about it a little. Also fill the hour with Howard Shore's music from Lord of the Rings, his collaborations with Martin Scorsese and David Cronenberg, as well as a few surprises. But first, a little more about Howard Shore. Howard Shore was born and raised in Toronto at a young age. He was proficient on numerous instruments. He trained at the Royal Conservatory of Music, and while at summer camp at age 13, he met another talented Torontonian, a fellow named Lorne Michaels. The two would work as peers later on. Howard studied at Berkeley before landing a horn gig with the popular act Lighthouse. Shore was not only touring live and recording with Lighthouse, he was also working side-by-side with Lorne Michaels as a music director, first for the Hart and Lorne Terrific Hour here in Canada, and then a zany new show that NBC was working on with Michaels, Saturday Night Live. From there, it was on to film, first getting his feet wet in the scoring game with another Ontario friend, David Cronenberg. The duo would work together on the bulk of his films. Shortly after their partnership, Shore was hired by another major auteur at the movies, Martin Scorsese. And it was one iconic soundtrack after the next. The Silence of the Lambs, Ed Wood, Mrs. Doubtfire, Jonathan Demme's Philadelphia. But it was in the early 2000s that Howard was asked to score one of the most ambitious projects in Hollywood history. Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. And the Oscar goes to... Howard Shaw for Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Oh, it's incredible. Just breathe a bit. Um, many thanks to the Academy. I'd like to share this Oscar with all the amazing musicians. Uh, I was incredibly inspired by Tolkien's great work, Peter Jackson's visionary filmmaking. Uh, Elizabeth, my darling, I love you. 
Howard Shore would go on to score all three Hobbit films as well. His latest is Song of Names, which we'll unpack later this hour. But right now, it is my pleasure to welcome Howard Shore to the Oasis right here on the new Classical FM. Hi, Howard. Hi. Great to have you here. Good to be here with your listeners. My goodness. Thank you. We just heard from uh, Sting and Phil Collins giving you an Oscar for your work on Lord of the Rings uh, some years ago. Uh, To most of us, that moment feels just surreal to even think about. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can only imagine that that sort of attention that you were getting there. Three Oscars for your work on that series with Peter Jackson. As a person who spends a lot of time in a studio and, and you know, uh, thinking about what you're going to compose and so on, how did you deal with all that attention at the time? Uh, well, we just kept working away. I yeah. mean, Fellowship of the Ring was just the first of three films. So we didn't have, we celebrated and then went back to work. <laughs> I know. We had, two, we had to do two towers. Is that a good moment for you? Is that a rewarding experience for you to be on those big stages where, you know, half of Hollywood is sitting right there? Oh, the Oscars. Well, yeah. the Oscars, yeah, it was a wonderful night. Incredible. I, I went with my, my wife, Elizabeth, and we were just thrilled to be in the theater. Yeah. Because you've seen pictures of the theater. Right. And you always see the ceremony from the perspective of the audience. Yeah. But it's different when you go up the steps and then you turn around. You've never seen that view. Yeah. So that was kind of like a shocking revelation to me, you know, that darkened theater. And then, of course, you have to say something. So And then nice to win, too. Be prepared. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I am so thrilled because we have you here to guide us through your music, which is an incredible body of work over the next hour. When you're given a project, something from David Cronenberg, something from Tim Burton, dramatic work from Martin Scorsese, Epic and fantastic from Peter Jackson. Where do you start? I always start with the words. I go into the script, or if the script's adapted from uh, a novel or a play, yeah. I go back into the research of the, the original ideas and then see how they're developed into the filmmaking ideas and then into the film. So I like to work that way. I like to read and I like to research. So I always begin... At the beginning. The last time we talked, you you talked about the idea of just dreaming, mm. too. Mm-hmm. Very important for films, because films, think of films that you go into a darkened theater, there's images flashing on a screen, it's very dreamlike. And I like to go into the subtext of the film, especially with the Cronenberg films. So I would read and dream, nap and kind of just get into kind of such a relaxed state that I could kind of free associate my thoughts into music. Uh, You talked about the subtext of the Cronenberg films, and we're going to get into one of the pieces of music you wrote for him. You've worked together a lot over the years uh, between you and Lauren Michaels and David Cronenberg. That's quite the Ontario team. I'll just point that out. Right there. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, the three, you talk about the subtext of Crane and David Cronenberg's film. So often fantastic. Uh, so often uh, there's a horror element, mm-hmm. but there's something deeper that you're looking for within that script so that you can create the music. Is that right? right? Well, with David's films, I work a lot around the, what I call working around the edges of the frame. And I'm trying to deepen the narrative and kind of broaden the uh, the context of the story with music. And we always look at each film very uniquely. We have no set pattern for how we're going to use music. It just kind of evolves from film. I've done 15 films with David, and they, each one evolves into the next one. 
And some of them are very experimental, some of them less so. But we just keep trying to move forward and create new ways of using music in cinema. Do you have a, is there a particular film from that 15 that, uh, that oh. stands out for you as a as a project you really enjoyed. Oh, I like them all. Yeah, I'm so I, I like them all from the early ones of the Fly scanners and video drum, video drum to to the Fly, which was the first symphonic score, right? And, and then into films like Dead Ringers and uh, Naked Lunch with Ornette Coleman, and then there's a later period of Cosmopolis and Dangerous Method. I mean, it's been a fantastic journey over 30 years now. All right, with David. let's hear something. Howard Shore, my guest for this hour, and uh, this is one of his pieces he worked on with David Cronenberg. Music of Spotlight here on the Oasis, and uh, my very special guest, composer Howard Shore, is guiding us through his incredible body of work, his film scores this afternoon, and uh, you've worked on a number of Best Picture films. There's another one, Spotlight, a great drama about journalism, the Catholic Church. Where did you have to, to go to put that one together? Well, you know, with these films, I love the idea of the truth coming out. Yeah. And I like to write from that perspective. Because I also feel also as a composer, I can do my best work when I'm the most truthful, uh -huh. whether it's Tolkien or something with Cronenberg. If it comes from my heart, then I feel I've captured something. We put together a, a film music feature every day here on The Oasis. It's titled Symphonic Soundtracks, and it's heard every day at 5.30. And we've made great use out of your work with uh, Martin Scorsese, the Howard Shore collaborations. Before we get to Song of Names, which is your latest, this has been a landmark year for Martin, the release of The Irishman. So often he's worked with another Torontonian, Robbie Robertson. Mm -hmm. But the two of you have collaborated uh, numerous times. What's, mm -hmm. what's that experience been? Wonderful. Yeah. He's a visionary filmmaker. He's an icon in uh, cinema, and he's brilliant musically. And I think my connection with Marty is through music. And he takes me on great journeys every time we work together. I was about to say, Robbie Robertson just said in a quote, he said, it's a unique adventure every time. And, yes. and that is your experience. Yes, he just takes you and opens the doors up to things you've not really experienced before. And he's showing you movies and we're listening to music. And I love working with Thelma Schoonmacher, his great editor. Yeah. It's a very enriched time relationship that I have with him. I've done five films, Marty, and a documentary. And they've all been 
wonderful experience. There you go. All of these Toronto guys uh, working, working with Martin Scorsese over the years. All right. It is The Oasis. My name is Mark Wigmore. Up next, uh, the film that we're really here for, The Song of Names, which sees a release in the next week. Film stars Tim Roth and Clive Owen, as well as two wonderful young actors portraying stepbrothers who are both seriously entrenched in the world of classical music in the midst of World War II, London. Uh, Martin, a headstrong young Brit, trying to win the attention of his father, a Dovidy Jewish immigrant from Poland who has been uh, taken in by Martin's family due to his tremendous abilities as a violin player. Here's a moment from Song of Names. My dearest brother, from the depths of my soul, I must ask you not to find me. You must think of me now as dead. I'm looking for David Rappaport. Rappaport, R-A-P-R-T. Would have been here in the 1950s. He was a virtuoso. When was the last time you saw him? London. Takes the violin right out of my hands. You never heard nothing like it in your life. The Song of Names debuted at TIFF back in September. Quebec's Francois Duard uh, directs and Howard Shore composed the music. Wartime, the London classical scene, Jewish heartbreak. Just a tremendous amount to work with here, Howard. Yes. It's a, it's a very moving story, and it was very emotional for me. And I think for Francois to work on this story, it, uh, it moved us a lot mm-hmm. to work on it. And I was trying to create a cantorial piece called The Song of Names that you hear in the film from 1951 in Stoke Newington, outside of London, and in a small shul, it's just a small synagogue, to create that piece, I had to go back and listen to a lot of the cantors, the great cantors, really, of the 20th century. And it brought me closer to my father, who started a synagogue in, in Toronto, Beth Shalom. In 1951, I was just growing up in, in the synagogue. So it brought me closer to him and... The film and story res- really resonated. We see this film features a uh, solo violin in numerous scenes. And I, what I noticed is, is that you have to score underneath these solo recitals. And, and that must have been an interesting exercise because it's almost a little dissident in a few spots. And, and I, I like what you did there. I had to work with the uh, on-screen actors first because we had to create all the music that you see on screen. Right. All the performances were played by... Uh, virtuoso violinist Ray Chen. Now, I was wondering about this because yeah. certainly Clive Owen can't uh, can't do this, right? No, Ray Chen is <laughs> he's playing yeah. he's playing Paganini and Brooke yeah. and Vianoski. You know, he's our principal soloist. Sounds and so then, beautiful. And then the score was recorded in a church in Montreal with the members of the Metropolitan Orchestra, Yannick's Orchestra, yeah. which is a fantastic orchestra. Yeah, and Nazé Seguin. Yes, exactly. Right. And so uh, I had to bring the early part of the work, which was to create all the on-screen music and record that, and then bring the score in uh, once the film was edited. It's a beautiful score, and it's a, a heartbreaking story in its own way, but it's also rooted in, in classical music and family, and so there's a lot here. Let's get to some music from the Song of Names. Uh, I caught it a couple weeks ago. The story wonderfully told and acted, and Howard Shore composed the score. So you're with the Oasis. Let's listen. ¶¶ 
Music from The Song of Names, which hits cinema screens later this week. Howard Shore composed what you just heard, and he is my guest this hour here on The Oasis. Very special to have you here. Thank you for being here this hour. Thank you. I'm enjoying it. Francois put this together. I'm wondering how the two of you came together. To uh, Robert Lantos, the producer. The introdu- great producer, yes. He produced m- m- many great films. in All the Adam McGowan yeah. films. And exactly, yeah. yes. And with Cronenberg as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he introduced me to uh, Francois Girard, whose work I knew from The Red Violin and 32 short films about Glenn Gould. And I admired his work tremendously. And then when I finally had a chance to meet him, the two of us just connected all into music and film, mostly in music. Francois is a great film director, but he's also a brilliant opera director. He did the great production of Wagner's Parsifal at the Metropolitan Opera. It's always fascinating to me for people who can straddle those two he worlds. He does both really well. And now he's doing uh, Flying Dutchman at the Metropolitan Opera in March. And he's doing a Lohengrin at the Bolshoi and at the Matico production. So he's a brilliant director he can read scores. He can talk about music. Those Quebecers, let me Fantastic. tell you. Fantastic. <laughs> it's unbelievable what <laughs> they can very, do. <laughs> he's very knowledgeable and, uh, you know, great to work with. We had a good uh, working relationship that developed into a really good friendship. You know, hope in the midst of darkness, it's a theme that comes up a lot in, in movies, just generally speaking. But the idea was uh, underlined, certainly in the Lord of the Rings films, many other of your films, in a big way. You had to find the tone for that. And we're going to hear from Lord of the Rings in just a moment. I think as a society, we're having a bit of a Lord of the Rings moment right now. Difficult culturally, environmental anxiety all around us. I know you identified in a a big way in Lord of the Rings with with those themes. Mm -hmm. As an artist, as a musician and a human being, how are you feeling about this this moment and and our ability to reflect and empathize in, in what is a difficult time? Yeah, I think it's important. The truth is now very important. Yeah. And we we didn't used to think of it so much. There was always the truth and the untruth. You took the, it for granted, maybe. Yes, you did. But now it's a serious topic. And I think that's what I try to do with the work that I do, is try to be as truthful, as honest as possible, and to try to tell these stories in in a way that's uh, expressive and creative, but also very truthful. Do you think artists are rising to the occasion right well, now? Well, I hope so. Yeah. yeah. It, it's a moment in time, and, and uh, we all need to contribute to the betterment of this planet. Well, one more of the most iconic themes from... The movies, let alone modern cinema, uh, Howard Shore's Lord of the Rings, and Howard Shore has been with me for the last hour. We're going to uh, make this entire conversation available for you online at classicalfm.ca. Howard, welcome back. Thank you. What a legacy for this set of films, the music Oscar award winning. Uh, sometimes you conduct it uh, if, if there's a concert going on. You must feel just a great sense of satisfaction from this massive project that you took yeah. on. Well, it's been, it'll be 20 years now. How could that be? Fellowship of the Ring (laughs) in 2021. I can tell you, sitting in that theater, seeing that film for the first time, I can remember it like it was yesterday. It blew my mind in every way. Sensory overload. It's so beautiful looking. It's the colors are vibrant. The production design is incredible. 
Well, the music, <laughs> but the live performances, there's been over 500 performances of the symphony and the three live performances, and they go on really all over the world, and people have really been so loving of this work to me and so open, and it's been a real joyous experience being able to create something that brought that kind of light into the world. And that peop- I get letters from people all over the world about it. Well, I think it taps into a, a deep place mm-hmm. in our heart. I mean, it just opens up our imaginations. Yeah. And beyond the, the visuals of the film, I think just hearing that piece of music just makes you feel yeah. incredible. Yeah, so. I, I feel it. It's yeah. wonderful. You know, all, all the articles or, or some of the articles post-Hobbit were pretty fascinating uh, behind the scenes. We now know that Peter Jackson had very little time to uh, direct and produce that second set of films. Were, were you in the same boat there? Was it a, a sort of a sense of panic, like, let's get these done? Or, or what was that experience? Well, the Hobbit films, they were created after Lord of the Rings and... We used all of our, all of our process, you know, that we had learned from Lord of the Rings, but it was even amped up even further, right. you know, in meeting deadlines. How did you handle that? Well, I, I, you know, I write, I'm, I'm pretty very disciplined. Music to me is, you know, it's a visual art as much as an oral art. And I write pencil and paper. So I just kept up is, you know, I've got a lot of control with that pencil. As long as that pencil's moving wow. on the page, composition is <laughs> taking place. Howard and his pencil. Yeah. And I orchestrate the scores in ink. And so I was able to keep up. He had that dragon to deal with. Yeah. In those the yeah. second set of films. And uh, Howard Shore, it's just been such a pleasure. Thank you. Congratulations on the Song of Names. Thank you. It's a wonderful film. You're with the Oasis. You're listening to Art at the End of the World Remix with composer Howard Shore. And coming up, an older interview I did with Howard that we uh, recorded back in 2017 when he became an officer to the Order of Canada. You're listening to the Zoomer Podcast Network. Mark Wigmore with you. Back to my conversation with Howard Shore. And this second conversation was actually recorded back in 2017. And it had just been announced that Howard was named as an officer of the Order of Canada, which is a great honor and meant to recognize a Canadian for their contributions. In this case, uh, the arts and music. And certainly he has done that. You may also be able to tell that this is a slightly more uh, primitive and... (laughs) stilted interview for me but uh, i like what howard had to say here and we delve deeper into his history so this is a sort of a vintage conversation not normally what we would hear on this podcast i'll point out we recorded my portion of the interview uh in my studio and his portion of the interview in his studio we actually were just talking on the phone and we mixed it all together later so let's have a listen from 2017 howard shore on art at the end of the world remix Howard Shore, great to have you here. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. 
You know, it was just a couple weeks ago that His Excellency, the Right Honorable David Johnston, Governor General of Canada, announced that you are now an officer of the Order of Canada. You have Grammys, you have Oscars, Golden Globes. Tell me how this particular honor struck you when you got the news. Uh, well, this is very special. I, I'm honored uh, to receive it. It's, it's, uh, I was very surprised by it, and I'm just delighted to be part of the order. When I speak to other artists as accomplished as yourself, there's always that feeling that no one is ever quite done. In other words, no one's ever totally satisfied. And I'm guessing that's where you live. Uh, well, with music, I'm a composer. Uh, you're always learning something new. There's not a day that goes by that there's uh, not a, an idea about music or uh, something that reveals itself to you that you hadn't thought of. So it's an endlessly workable art form. That must be delightful. That must be wonderful when you discover something new. It is. And it, it makes the, the journey of it. You know, I've been writing music since I was a youngster. I was nine when I picked up the pencil and started writing. Right. And so I, I've been writing for a long time, but each day the pencil still hits the page and there's still ideas being uh, collected and uh, works being, you know, orchestrated or new works being composed. It, it, it's a daily ongoing process. It's so wonderful. Let's go back a little. You talked about being a youngster there. Tell me about the late 50s and early 60s Toronto, because that's really when you started to play in a semi-professional capacity. Is that right? Yeah, I studied music when I was uh, younger, and uh, there, just growing up there was wonderful. I had a, a great parents and a great childhood, actually, uh, growing up in Toronto. So it, it's it's really mostly fond memories. What neighborhood did you grow up in? Uh, oh, I lived in different parts of the city. I mean, when I was a little older, I lived in Cabbage Town. Okay. I love that. <laughs> and, uh, and then I also lived off of Eglinton and... Avenue Road and, uh, you know, different parts of the city. Was jazz a, a early influence? I mean, it's been certainly a part of some of your soundtracks and scores. I love jazz from a, from a early point. And, you know, I was a big admirer of uh, jazz artists from the late fi 50s into the early 60s. You know, I, I got to work with Ornette Coleman on Naked Lunch was a great honor. But I loved Art Blakey and uh, Cannibal Adderley. Uh, and people might remember you played saxophone in Lighthouse. What was the lineage of instruments? Well, I studied clarinet, and then I went on to uh, saxophone, alto saxophone, and then tenor saxophone, baritone, soprano. And then also studied cello and trumpet, piano, of course. After my studies, I did go on the road with, with Lighthouse, you know, did many years of touring, four years of touring, lots of recording also for uh, albums. I did eight albums with Lighthouse. Uh, you know, it was an ongoing process. And then eventually I put the instruments down and kept the pencil going. You mentioned Lighthouse, so let's go back to that band for just a moment. Still an act that gets a ton of play on classic rock radio stations. When you recorded and toured with this band, what did it help you discover about the business? How did it lay the groundwork to where you are now? Well, I was on the road for many years, and it was actually a great experience. And I was quite young when I was with Lighthouse, so it was a bit like Zelig in a sense. If you've ever read Mansion Upon the Hill, it was it's you know you felt like you were in that story. Did it turn you off the road because rock and roll life can be? 
pretty difficult. Well, I think I, I kind of got that out of my system. You know, yeah. By the time I came off the road, I mean, I was in my early 20s still. So, I mean, I had done a, a lot of traveling, uh, a lot of concerts. I think we played uh, probably 1,000 one-nighters in that period. And it was a way to experience the world, experience music, meeting a lot of uh, various people in different concert situations. We played with orchestras. We played with the uh, Winnipeg and uh, Vancouver Symphony, a bunch, uh, the Toronto Symphony. It was a way to express a lot of ideas that I had at the time in music. And it kind of propelled me into uh, songwriting and uh, orchestral writing. And it kind of you know, just move me along. Really, I've kind of kept a parallel process in music. There's uh, one process is it almost feels like you're, it's part of your day life. And then there's a night life that's going on. And I've been creating works continually throughout all these different parts of my career. So in a, in a weird sort of way, it did propel you towards, you know, the, the scores and soundtracks that are so well known now. I think it definitely, it, it all, uh, it was an accumulated uh, knowledge of music and uh, performance, conducting, uh, rehearsing, orchestration, all of those things. I mean, it's it, it was an accumulated process. I mean, film music is essentially a recorded art. So by being in the recording studio in the late 60s, early 70s, You've been a part of that process of recording music for, you know, a long time now, 40, 50 years. Let's talk about uh, SNL for a moment. It's certainly been having a, a celebratory path over the last year or two, 40 plus years now, uh, obviously having a, a bit of a renaissance with all that's in the news these days. And you're a big part of that history. You were there with, with Lauren Michaels in the beginning here in Toronto. How important was that gig and that time in the television world? to the rest of your career? Uh, well, it, it was interesting. We were really working out of a studio in New York in uh, Rockefeller Center called 8H. We were on late at night, Saturday evenings in 1975. We're not known for uh, gathering big viewing audiences. So we were somewhat left alone to our own devices for a long time. And we developed the show kind of, you know, on our own with a small group, maybe about 12 or 15 people developed the show over that, you know, in those early years. And it was a way to express ideas that we had about television, about comedy, about uh, sketch writing, uh, improvisation, music. The group of us, you know, threw everything we had into it. It was a very intense period. And uh, it launched this show that has now been on over 40 years. Howard, when you look back at these 80 plus films, I think what stands out is how diverse the subject matter is. I, I think there's some composers who kind of stick with one, you know, type of film or, or speed of film. But we look at these heavy dramas like Philadelphia and Gangs of New York and then these bombastic adventures, whimsical comedies like Big. Has it been important for you to tackle that variety of, of emotions and uh, types of films? I think it came out of the idea of repertory theater, that you did a comedy one night, a drama the next. And I kind of grew up in that type of environment. Friends that I had, you know, at a young age were writers, actors, 
they became directors. And I, I think we were interested in working in the theater in various, a- various aspects of it. I mean, Saturday Night Live is live theater. So it, it all harkens back to you know, an earlier period where, you know, we were experimenting, trying different things. And I think that carried through into into filmmaking and working with different subjects felt very natural and interesting, you know, at the time. I mean, when things were offered, it, it seemed like, oh, that would be an interesting uh, story to work on. I hadn't tried that before, so I would try things. Yeah, I'm just guessing, you know, that after the first few Cronenberg films and suddenly you're handed big, that's a that's a different, like, where do you even start to search for the themes, you know, when right. you've been working in this other world, you know? It did feel natural to me. I mean, that year of big, that was 86, and I wrote a score to David's film, The Fly, fantastic film. And I also did big and also worked with Martin Scorsese on After Hours. Right. And, you know, so I really felt that, you know, there was such a range of work there. It felt very natural at the time. They were just things that were offered and they seemed like great directors to work with. And off I went. Let's talk about David Cronenberg for a minute. We mentioned The Fly. You met, we talked about Naked Lunch a little earlier. So many others. You have that Toronto connection. Is it a relationship that's simply based on the work or do you get sentimental when it comes to David Cronenberg? Well, there's a, a, a long history uh, with David. I've known him for a very long time. And I mean, the first film I worked on was in the late 70s, The Brood. We've made 15 films over the course of roughly 30 years. And uh, it's a very important relationship to me uh, creatively. He's given me enormous freedom to create works for his films. He's been very open, creative to work with, great collaborator. I just love working with him. One of your other major collaborators has to be Martin Scorsese, a man who continues to be almost as busy as you. You two have collaborated on a number of projects. What's that relationship like? Is he specific in what he wants when you're having a conversation? I've done six films with uh, Martin Scorsese. All, all of them uh, are really a joy to uh, to work on. And I love working with Thelma Schoonmarker as well as great editor. It's a very uh, creative process uh, working with Marty, and you learn a lot about the periods that you're working on. It's a very intense process, and uh, he's just a great filmmaker. When you do have a a time period or a certain character that evokes a a certain emotion, I mean, where do you start to even look for those themes musically? Is it just, where, where do you go for that first bit of inspiration? You dream. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's all in your subconscious. And really, film music is so much the subtext of the story. And you want to get into that world around the edges. What's missing and what can I create that can add depth and subtext to the stories? And I I, I like the idea of the dream idea, the state where you're sitting in a dark theater and the images are passing in front of you and you're creating ideas in music based on the feelings you have sitting there, the drama that's unfolding, the colors of the cinematography, the production design, the editing, the acting, the movement of the light, all part of what goes into creating music for film. 
Is there something about human nature you've learned from creating the the musical worlds around the characters that we see on the big screen? Well, you do. I mean, so much of what we love in movies is a reflection of our lives and years that have gone before, different cultures, different people, and how truthful uh, the storytelling is, is always of real importance, I think. Even in fantasy uh, films, like Tolkien's work, you want to be as truthful as possible and to create his world as he saw it. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we all know that he found those characters through his real life as well. So yes, yes. that's that connection. Um, and speaking of which, a couple of weeks ago, the TSO presented a screening of uh, Lord of the Rings with the Symphony Orchestra performing your score. Very popular event, I can tell you. I know there's some uh, some other dates on your actual website there, but... What a mammoth project alongside director Peter Jackson. You took on those Hobbit films as well. It's just one of those series that people can instantly identify when they hear the music, which must be very satisfying for you. How challenging was it to create all the different musical moods that were needed to make Lord of the Rings come alive? It it was challenging. And I mean, it was a very daunting process. The book is so well-loved. It's one of the great novels of the the 20th century. It's a very uh, detailed, uh, complex work. It's considered one of the most complex fantasy worlds ever created. I approached it day by day, step by step. You know, I kind of just followed through the process, really, uh, took on its own life. It took me almost four years to write the piece. It's approximately 11 hours and I orchestrated it and conducted it, produced it. I mean, it, it was a quite of a, a very involving process. But I think I related so well to Tolkien's world because of his love of nature. And essentially, Lord of the Rings is really about preservation of nature, everything green and good. And I also feel the strong connection to nature in, in music, in my writing, uh, especially in the concert works that I'm writing now. And I think that connection was something that drew me close to the author and helped me to write that uh, that music. Now, of course, I had great inspiration from the film. Peter Jackson's great filmmaking uh, certainly helped to create a really good, bold, and detailed score for it. It's one of those films where, when just in the opening scenes, and we hear that swell of the, the orchestra underneath, I mean, I get... I get chills when I listen to that. I, I hope you get to experience that from your own music. I'm not sure you would. Yeah, and I've heard it in concert many times. I was just delighted that people are uh, interested in it. And I heard the Toronto Symphony performance was was really sensational. Yeah, that's what I heard as well. Let's talk about the projects you just mentioned. What do we have to look forward to from Howard Shore? Uh, February 17th, uh, uh, a CD from Sony Classical of two concerti, both pieces uh, written for great artists. The piano concerto, uh, Rune in Memory, was written for uh, Long Long. Very nice. And uh, Mythic Gardens was written for Sophie Chow as a New York-based uh, cellist. And they're coming out together. And they're Chopin-inspired pieces. The Piano Concerto was originally commissioned for the 200th anniversary of Chopin's birth. 
those are coming. And I just recently put out a chamber music uh, CD, Palace Upon the Runes, that contains uh, chamber music that I've been writing for years and years. And now some of it is now coming out and being published. It, it sounds busy, my friend. It always is. The pencil <laughs> continues to move. <laughs> well, my Lord, what a treat uh, to get to talk to you about some of these uh, major landmarks and cornerstones in your career and just absolutely fantastic and well-deserved this uh, officer to the Order of Canada. Congratulations and thank you. Thank you. Enjoyed talking to you and your listeners. My conversations with the great Howard Shore and listening to his music as well. I will always cherish the time we were able to uh, spend together. He doesn't visit Toronto too, too often. And so when he's here for the film festival or to promote a film, it's great to get together. And a Torontonian who has contributed so much to the lore of Hollywood and to the music of the movies. And he makes New York home these days. Great to speak with Howard. Don't forget, his latest is The Song of Names, starring Clive Owen and Tim Roth. Thank you once again to our sponsors today, Crow's Theatre and Red Eye Media. And thank you to you. Thank you for checking out the show. If you would like to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter. The handle is at Art at the End. We're on Facebook. We have a Facebook page. And, of course, my Instagram handle at Wigdad. We're back on Monday here on Art at the End of the World with a new episode, and I'm very much looking forward to welcoming actress and director and producer and artistic director with Soul Pepper Theatre, Wayne Mangesha. And don't forget, you can hear my program, The Oasis, on the new Classical FM every weekday between 3 and 7 p.m. Eastern, 12 to 4 Pacific. You can listen at classicalfm.ca or watch the broadcast live on YouTube. We're at 96.3 in Toronto, 103.1 in Coburg, and 102.9 in Collingwood. We're back on Monday. Speak to you then, and for as long as we can. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.